right. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Ooh. <laughs> what was that? Zoe 101? All right. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. Just the only man of culture in this chat again. <laughs> I know you see me standing there. Do I look good, my dear? Hey. Do I look good, good today? today. <laughs> if you want to play, come and play together. Let's get away. <laughs> Rest in peace. Just kidding. She's alive. But yeah. <laughs> and with that. That's <laughs> right. that's time. Ready? Welcome back to the Top 10 Podcast. <laughs> top bins, top tier commentary. Top drawer. Upper 90. You already down. know. <laughs> you already more of a term, know. I think that's how it always goes, like, 45 minutes, and we're at, like, Chelsea. What are we doing? Um, I'm Dominic Ponteri. I'm Matt And we are here to talk about Champions League soccer today. Bins time. What's up? We're back. Welcome back to Top Bins. We're happy to have you back. We're happy to be talking about England and Italian soccer once again with you. I am Matt, joined by my host Dom. Dom, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. <laughs> Dom's doing a lot better. He's uh, building up some liquid courage, getting through the evening, uh, recording on a Tuesday rather than a Monday, which is why Dom is resorting to to drink his way through this one because. You know, Sorry you got to you got to get yourself through the middle of the week some way, somehow. It's been a, a, a great weekend of games really last week as well with Champions League. But we're going to be starting in England, which gave us the game of the weekend. And it did not disappoint as this fixture rarely ever does disappoint. Liverpool two, Manchester City two. These two teams have given us a lot of entertainment over the years. There's been a few blowouts in this fixture, uh, but there's pretty much always been drama. It's pretty much always been a high-quality game. Um, and if not, there's at least been some kind of high-quality narrative ripped out of it by one of the teams. This was, again, though, it gave you everything you were looking for and uh, feels very much like a Premier League classic. Feels like one we'll be watching in a few years, the highlights of and talking about the great Salah goal or how fantastic Foden was. And, you know, this will be in Foden's like highlight reel, you know, for for his uh, for his career. It's like one of his kind of big breakthrough performances uh, among many so far. But this was uh, this was high energy. The first half went the way that a lot of these big six games have gone uh, in recent history at least it was tight it was kind of starred for chances it was a, a pretty high quality tactical you know match the first 10 minutes was pretty much all Liverpool then from there on City kind of settles in but the second half is where this game just absolutely explodes you have tons of goals a lot of individual moments and a lot of team brilliance which is again exactly what you'd expect of this Dom what are your thoughts on this game 
Mohamed Salah is one of the best players in the world. Hands well, down. You're just stating facts. And I, I, uh, <laughs> I mean, number one, he gets an assist. Number two, he gets a goal. Like you said, it's just, it was a second half thing. Uh, second half affair. Uh, a lot of yellow cards in the game as well. Um, really crazy. Uh, and remember last time we talked about, um, we talked about, you know, how like Pep really does like weird things to the lineup. You never normally know where players are going to play. Like this time he started Grealish up top. Foden went out wide. Uh, Gabby Jesus, who got on the score sheet again, but this time through an assist. You know, he started out on the right wing again. He's been really, he's been playing really well there. Um, you know, your normal suspects in the midfield, uh, I mean, it, this is this is what you expect from you know, uh, two top four teams playing against each other, right? It's going to be tactical, but at some point it's going to open up and it's just going to be extremely, extremely entertaining. Um, low key, kind of mad I missed the game. I should have watched this live. Right. So Foden was was obviously put on the left because. Trent Alexander-Arnold missed this game with a slight groin injury, so Milner had to fill in. Milner's had issues in the past. He, you know, he's he's gotten some red cards, and he should have been sent off for a second yellow in this game uh, with a pretty obvious foul on Bernardo Silva that did not get awarded, which Pep Guardioli was happy to to throw his hands up about, deservedly so. He likes to complain, but he was right to complain about this one. Uh, so Liverpool were definitely lucky to not be a man down uh, for the last, I think, like 15 minutes or so it would have been. You can always kind of tell, too, when a manager knows that the player was lucky to escape a second yellow because they subbed them right away. <laughs> Gomez came on for Milner right after because <laughs> I think Klopp recognized that this was uh, this was not a good situation. But Foden, yeah, I, I think played brilliantly on the left. It was a great game for him, but definitely overshadowed by the the other final third uh, on, on that same side of the field, which is Mo Salah. Great individual moments for the assist and for the goal. It's one of the, the best individual goals that you'll you'll see probably all season in the league. Um, and what it's, a run. It really is. I mean, it's not the first time he scored one like it. I, I tweeted at the time. It reminded me very much of his goal to win it against Napoli in the Champions League a few years ago. Um, there's been Spurs goals like that. The Watford goal was a lot like, like he just has this habit of finding space on that corner of the box and really torturing defenders. I think this is one of the more exciting games that we've had between these two. Uh, last year, obviously, this same fixture was kind of sucked, frankly, uh, because Liverpool were obviously decimated by injuries and Manchester City were just a, a different tier at, at the time that they played. It, it wasn't its usual quality. Um, even the game before that, we've seen so often these two teams kind of happy to settle for the point, especially City going away to Anfield, where they have not had lots of success in the past. Um, but what struck me about this game, and again, very unlike a lot of these other top six and, and top four battles or title challenge you know, games, it's very rare to see the last 10 minutes teams really pushing forward in these games. And that's exactly what happened in this game. Like up until the last whistle, both teams were really pressing the advantage, trying to get out on counters quick. It became very frenetic in that last 10 minutes, especially after De Bruyne's goal where the three points were there for either team. If they could just string together, you know, that, that final moment. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just, I think, I think it was a really, really fantastic match and, and is well worth uh, all the, all the praise that it's gotten. And, you know, it's, it's just a yet another kind of chapter in what has been a really, really fun period between these two teams. These are like, 
you know, I, I always think of like when I was really young, Manchester United and Arsenal were like that was the big game you know yeah. to watch. Um, and then as we, you know, kind of change, it was like Manchester United, Chelsea was the bigger game. And then both Manchester, you know, like there's been, I think, eras def- in the Premier League defined by these big rivalry matches. And we are very much in the era of Manchester City and Liverpool games. It's not that this is new. With the, you, know, you go back to the 17-18 season and that 4-3 game is, is a classic as well. Um, so, yeah, this is not new, but it's it's just another really awesome chapter and what has been just great games. This game shows that these are the two teams that are just levels above everybody else in this league. Um, I mean, it's not really that surprising. And the only team that can really kind of say that they're almost up there with them is Chelsea. You know, so it, it, it's kind of shaping out that, you know, these are the three teams and, and most importantly, these two that played in this game, you know, are, are the real, you know, serious contenders with everybody else kind of like behind, like, maybe getting a jab in here and there, you know, saying that, you know, Hey, you know, take us serious for this, but you know, it's, it, it's really looking like as the season goes on, it's city, it's Liverpool, it's Chelsea. And, and that's, you know, that's what the Premier League is going to turn out to be. Yeah. I think it's been pretty clear that those three are a tier of their own and this reinforced that I think Chelsea don't have the over. I, I don't see Chelsea having a game like this necessarily. Um, because I, I don't know that offensively they're always as smooth. And I think part of that comes with time. You have to remember, obviously, Klopp and Pep have been with these clubs yeah. for years now. You know, this is kind of them at their peak powers. This is the teams exactly pretty much how, um, you know, maybe Pep would like a, a, a more established number nine. But they've been playing fine without it. They won the league fine without one last year, and they've played fine this year. So, um, so you know, I think that's the only reason Tuchel maybe doesn't have that same uh, cohesion that that these two have with the squads but Chelsea have the ability and we saw it over the weekend of grinding out results when they have to and that is a huge huge factor in, in when you're talking about winning titles but I think Manchester City and Liverpool have a quality they, they have a ceiling that I think is truly unmatched by most other teams in Europe I, I think I can maybe say like Bayern and, and Real Madrid um, are the only two teams I think that can reach the heights that can then reach the the true power that these two teams can put out. They can't do it every game. Obviously some games, the circumstances have to go the right way, but I, I mean, are, are these our two top teams? Cause I know that we've, we've obviously been favorable to, towards Chelsea and I think they still deserve that discussion, but this game does kind of make you think that these two teams do look a level above everyone else. No, I agree. I think that these are the two teams that are a level above everyone else. And I think that, like Chelsea is like right on the cusp of, of being in that same tier. They're in a tier of their own above everybody else in the league. They're just knocking on the door. They're almost there. And like you said, you know, you're talking about two other clubs that have their settled system. They have managers that have been there. The players have, most of the players have been there at these clubs and, and, and they know what the manager wants. They know the identity of the team. They play that way. This Chelsea team is starting to come into their own. They won the Champions League. You know, they're trying to, you know, fight for a title and, you know, defend their Champions League title. So, you know, the 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 foundation and the building pieces are there, but it, they're still not, I think, uh, solidified enough as, you know, that kind of powerhouse that, you know, when you go up against a Liverpool or a City, you're like, oh, here we go again. You know what I mean? There's still that glimmer of hope against Chelsea where, you know, the opposing team is like, you know what? We can win this. Yeah. 
Chelsea have, uh, have had some injury issues so far this year, too. Mason Mount is just working his way back in. Conte is obviously out because of uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. Pulisic has been in and out this year. Rich James, obviously, like another notable. So they haven't had that starting 11 cohesion as well, which has made it difficult. But uh, let's move on to a team that has, I, I think, solidified their place outside of these top two tiers. Manchester United won, Everton won. This was a dramatic game. <laughs> uh, there was a, a technically a, a late winner, which was ruled out for offsides because Tom Davies is a coward and wouldn't just shoot it himself for some reason. Um, but this was yet another blow, I think, to, to United's chances at, at a title this year because, again, we just talked about and really sung praises for Liverpool and City and Chelsea are top of the table right now. You can't afford to be giving up grounds. You need to win these games at home. And it's hard to decide who to talk about more in this game because Everton to go to Old Trafford and get a, a point when you consider the injuries that they have, no uh, Calvert-Lewin, no Richarlison for this game. Um, I, I think you have to really give a lot of plays to Rafa Benitez and what he's done so far. Like the man started Solomon Rondon and got a point at Old Trafford and you could make the case should have got all three. Like that's, you know what, <laughs> that's deserving of some praise for sure. Uh, and this was the Andrus Townshed Townsend show too. Uh, it wasn't his yearly banger. It was not his <laughs> yearly Puskas Award nominee. It was still fantastic. Uh, he may not get an award either for the celebration. He mimicked uh, Ronaldo's and didn't quite stick you, the landing. You gotta love the Premier League shithousery, man. You well, apparently it. he says he says it was an ode to Ronaldo and that Ronaldo yeah, is a yeah. inspiration to him. I can think of no better way than mimicking his celebration. Uh, <laughs> I, Especially I against him, like it did not feel like flattery it felt like uh like poking fun but this was you know the same problems you can kind of just copy and paste what we've talked about united in a lot of these games so far this season it's it's the same issues where on the counter i mean the goal comes from a a really nice counter by everton and uh you know their second goal which was was disallowed for offsides comes off just complete disarray in the back and not being able to mark after a set piece when you have, you know, typically nine players behind the ball, uh, not being able to pick up Tom Davies and Yerry Mina, uh, who, again, they were very fortunate if Yerry Mina has like a size 10 instead of a size 11 shoe, that, you know, Everton get all three points in this game. Didn't Yerry Mina like Dougie? He did. He, he, you know, <laughs> as Messi would say, dance again, you clown. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I just think United. This was a this was a very just typical game for them. They controlled a lot of aspects of this game. They're heavy in possession. The problem is, is they really and it's strange because they have so much attacking talent. I find that they're constantly lacking creativity. That they're constantly lacking in the final third any sort of spark, and that isn't necessarily Ole's fault. A manager's job typically isn't to really worry so much about what happens in the final third. You can obviously think about set pieces and things like that. But most top managers, even someone like Pep, typically is not coaching players up to that final third. A lot of that comes down to like instinct and, you know, like players like sort that out themselves. What really matters for coaches is typically defensive structure and how to build possession and how to break out of it. Once you get, you know, within 20 yards, a lot of that is just like, this is stuff that you figure out and and just happens in the moment. Sometimes we all just need to wind down after a long day of enjoying our favorite sports teams go to work. And with the rise of streaming platforms, new TV shows and movies are popping up every single week. And it might be overwhelming not knowing exactly what to watch. Well, that's where streamer season comes in. 
the exclusive streaming platform discussion podcast for TV and movies on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. Join me, KB, and a plethora of our hosts right here at USP breaking down all the new TV and movies that you guys should be watching across all the various streaming platforms that are available to the masses. Catch us on streamer season wherever you get your podcasts. Well, do you think that a lot of that creativity or that creative spark was left on the bench to start? Um, I mean, obviously, Martial's out there, gets a goal, but I do think that Martial should be starting. His goal was nice. But, you know, you have Sancho, Ronaldo, and Pogba all on the bench. Do you think that that kind of is leaving something out? I mean, most of those players weren't even brought in until the 60th minute. Yeah, I think I think that's that's fair to say. Uh, Martial kind of rotating with Pogba. We you know we talked a lot about how you know when Ronaldo was signed that Ole was going to have to find moments to rest him. Is this the game to rest him? Well, you know, it's it's tough to say. They obviously had a, a Champions League game in the middle of the week. Ronaldo had a dramatic winner at that. You'd feel comfortable bringing Ronaldo on the bench, off the bench to get a late winner or, or make a difference in the game. I think that's Ole's approach. I, f- I find that I don't often necessarily disagree with what Ole does. I, d- I don't find myself saying like, wow, this guy's clueless. I think what worries me though, is that the same issues that have been within the team have persisted. There's been no growth in, in the, the main weaknesses of the team. And again, you know, they certainly have the attacking talent, but when you're getting beat on counters, you know, we highlighted this, the Newcastle game. Yes, they won that game comfortably. Yes, it was a great homecoming for Ronaldo, but Newcastle had genuine chances. And this is Newcastle. We're not a good attacking team. We have pretty much one main threat to score on you, and that's uh, St. Maximin. Like if, if that is a team that is breaking you on the counter with consistency, that's a huge, huge worry. And we saw it again with Everton. When you had Benitez, he's going to be able to, to make you struggle and work for it. And that's what you saw in this game. And I, I just... I, again, if you're talking about tiers within the league, I, I don't think United are distant behind those other three that we've already talked about. But I do think that there is ground between them. Can that be addressed in, in say, the transfer market? Sure. I don't know that they're going to be willing to do that. And I don't know that Ole is like the guy to fix this problem because this is the same problem that we've had for a long time. Now, they're technically without Maguire for this game, right? And Shaw was like kind of injured. Like, you know, he was a kind of a game time decision. So you could theoretically blame it on that. But I I don't buy that at all. Again, this is this is a midfield issue. And I I just don't know that with Scott McTominay and Fred as your your double pivot midfielders, you're going to be you're going to be challenging for a title. You can win with those guys. Absolutely. Like you can win games. You might even find your way to, to win another cup or something like that, but you are not going to have the consistency to 38 games to actually not, you know, surrender points to teams that you shouldn't. And this was a game that on paper, you should be winning. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't say it better myself, man. Right. So I, you know, I just, I do want to give credit to Everton though, uh, because I, I think they've played really well so far this season. Damari Gray has been, I think one of the signings of the, the, the summer so Great far. Great to see him back in the pro. Yeah. And I mean, when you consider that he, he was essentially, this is like a huge reclamation project for him. He came in for 2 million from Leverkusen where he didn't play a ton. 
kind of gets cast out from Leicester. He, I remember him breaking out as a younger player at Leicester and looking pretty bright. He still has that same like fast twitch, good dribbling, knows how to use space. We saw that uh, in, in the goal, him being able to attack space. And I think that's that's obviously a huge weapon for them. Uh, he's looked great. Townsend has been, I don't know, some of the best form that, that I've seen him in uh, so far. Decore has looked great so far this year. Uh, he's been that true like box-to-box midfielder that, that you want to have. He, he is like a prototypical Benitez uh, midfielder, exactly what he wants. But yeah, I, I did want to give some credit to Everton and how they performed and how they, you know, let's not forget <laughs> Everton are, are in a really good position at the table. It's, you know, you know we're only seven games in the season, but they technically have European uh, football to look forward to next year. So that's yeah, good, good for them. Good for them. So uh, our, our final game that we'll talk more in depth about in England is Brentford 2, West Ham 1. Uh, I wanted to highlight this because Brentford yet again, proving that they are uh, a heavyweight to be contended with. They get another, another late winner. Uh, Wisa, again, he comes on against Liverpool, gets the, the tying goal to make it 3-3. Comes on, essentially last kick of the game. Uh, gets it in off, off a broken corner to beat West Ham. And I, I wanted to highlight this because one of my favorite players to watch is Ivan Tony. He is fantastic. I love everything <laughs> about him. Uh, he is so much fun to watch. His work rate is incredible. This is really going to be more just like talking about Ivan Tony than, than the game itself. But, you know, he, he has this amazing pass, which leads to the first Brentford goal. He's, he, he deserves an assist for it because it's absolutely beautiful. The ball falls like 40 yards out of the air and he just takes it in stride. Perfect through ball. He is just a magnificent player to watch. I, I think if you are a, a young striker or if you are a coach, this is how you either, if you're playing, you want to play, and this is how you want your striker to play in the modern game, at least. Constantly working his way back to defend, constantly working his way to, to be a part of the buildup. He's very much in like Harry Kane's mold last year, where Harry Kane was constantly dropping into the final third to receive the ball find someone in space, work his way up the field to be a part of the buildup in the final third. Like he just, he really, really impresses me. Brentford really, really impressed me. They're going to be safe this year. I, I think the question moreover is, is where, where can we see Brentford go? What is their true ceiling? Obviously it's early in the year, so we're going to get caught up in this a little bit more than, you know, say when we get to February and March, but they look really, really bright, Tom. Yeah. They have 11 points in six games, which for a team, is this their first ever year in the The last league? time they were in the top or, flight was in 1947. Yeah. So, the, you know, the fact that, you know, they got three wins already is absolutely impressive. And, and I mean, the fact that, you know, a, a few of these games were against bigger teams, right? They, they had that 3-3 draw against Liverpool. West Ham's no slouch of a team. They beat Arsenal you know? on the opening day of the Premier League. Yeah. They've, they've been but, competitive in every game. No, so uh, they've got a game coming up uh, on October 16th. That's the next game in the league against Chelsea. And then Leicester right after that. So they'll be tested, and it'll be a nice way to see, you know, you know, get a real good baseline test and a real good idea of, you know, how the rest of their season is going to pan out. But I mean, this this is looking at like a team that could, you know, really, you know, beat up on a lot of mid and lower table teams and could, you know, potentially push for a conference league spot at minimum. Yeah, I, I mean, that that would definitely be their goal. They're an ambitious team. And 
you know, they are in the uh, kind of analytic department, right? Like this is a team that's focused a lot on, you know, building the the smart way. I know that they're yeah. obviously linked with stats bomb as well. So we know that they, they care about the advanced stats, but yeah, they, they come against Chelsea and, you know, we know that they've performed well against other London teams so far. So we got to watch out. I think what's interesting about Brentford too, is they play this really fun three, five, two. That's, I, I think three, five, two is a, a really interesting formation. You have to have the right personnel, obviously to pull it off, but what I think is, is, yeah it is it is very italian in a way because what what is what is really difficult about the 352 if you're trying to game plan against it is allows you to be so fluid and so compact and also gives you so much space especially if you can like antagonize the wide players and you have the the players to do that which brentford do they're not as great as some of the italian teams that we've seen in the course of history of course but yeah that that is why the 352 is so dangerous and again, if you can find the right personnel for it, I think it can be a real, real advantage to you. We've seen the three-five-two dominate, you know, England before. Antonio Conte, when he comes to England and deploys it with Chelsea, it took a solid six months for anyone to really figure out how to beat that formation. Uh, and even then, it was not an easy thing to do. Uh, and it can really, really make life very difficult for opponents, especially when you you get into the you know the the pressing that it allows you to do, the way that it allows you to cut off space. I think they're they're a really impressive team. For West Ham, it's obviously it's a difficult uh, difficult one to lose. They've had a, a bit of an up and down start to this season. Obviously, with with Europe to to worry about now, you always expect them to to maybe drop off a little bit. But they've still looked pretty good. I, I wouldn't look at this result as, as a huge worry for them. But um, it does feel like a, a missed opportunity at the very least. Yeah. The the last news out of England, uh, Watford yet again firing a manager yeah that's how you know that they it's like the oh, christening no. of a uh, of a new <laughs> ship you know where they slam oh, no. the the champagne bottle into the hole uh cisco he's fired and it's our boy dom claudio ranieri coming in to to save wadford um <laughs> trying to give them the old sampdoria treatment and and restabilize them a bit I'm trying to give them the old leister yeah pretty uh treatment and go come back if come they pull lester i'll be very shocked <laughs> let's just say that put your uh, money now <laughs> watford have changed um, at least a manager one manager every year since 2011 every single year and there have been multiple years really? in there where they've changed two or three times yes so wow. this is not even there's seven games in this season this is not even the wow. record for them they they fired uh last year four games into the season so uh, good luck to to Ranieri. I, I wish he's him the gonna best. need it with that club. I'll well, they play that. Liverpool right after the international break, so <laughs> nice. Can't can't wait to see what the fans are gonna say after that. Talk about a baptism by fire. Jesus. That's for sure. Let's let's get a little more continental though, Tom. Let's let's maybe go. Let's maybe go to the beautiful beautiful region of Tuscany, Napoli too. Fiorentina one, Napoli seven and zero in the league. Woo. Perfect start. Chef's kiss, looking great. Uh, just some Napoli stats for you. They scored 18 goals through uh, <laughs> through this international break. Now they've only only conceded three. They have the most shots per match in the league, most accurate passes per match, highest average possession, most clean sheets. They are a, a dominating side right now. You have to say you have yes, to give them their are. credit. Yes, they are. I mean, even in this game at the start. Fiorentina came out kind of kind of guns blazing, you know, your boys, La Viola. Uh, 
you know, they came out, they had a little bit of possession. They were putting on a lot of pressure. This isn't a team that you, you know, even though, you know, I, I'm guilty of it as well, you know, talking down about them and, and whatnot. But, you know, they came out and, and you know, they got an early goal, you know, and kind of, you know, caught Napoli on the wrong foot. But then, you know, Chucky comes in, gets a goal. And then, and then it's all Napoli from there. And I mean, the way Spalletti has these guys playing, we, I, we keep saying it week in, week out. It's, it's absolutely incredible the way they're playing. And, and the fact that they're still going, the fact that they're still, you know, these are games that, you know, top teams have to win, right? You play these games, you have to beat this. You have to beat this team. You have to beat this team. You have to beat this team. They're doing it. And, it just kind of, you know, solidifies our, our kind of gets rid of our doubts on maybe they're not going to be able to continue this after January. But, you know, the way if they if they continue to do this through October, without a doubt, they're they're going to be one of the most consistent teams in the league this year. And it's scary. Well, they, you know, they're already starting to give themselves a little bit of a buffer too over other teams. Obviously, when you start out perfect like they have, but this game I think showed showed a lot about you know, and, and we'll talk about this with some of the other results too. These are, you know, I think you mentioned it. These are the type of games you have to win if if you want to be a title contender. Uh, fighting your way back against Fiorentina one nil down is is not easy to do, and you know, especially you know, I I just think. I think the the thing with Napoli and maybe I've said this before is they have a, a good mix of young talent and they also have quite a few guys that have obviously been around for a few years that have been with this team through some of these title challenges, you know, now you're talking four or five years ago, but that is a good balance to have sometimes. And if you can find the right manager to tap into that mentality of getting the older players engaged and bought into that idea of like, we've we've been through a lot of experiences together, and we're we're gonna find a way to make it work. We're gonna find a way to win now. You, that can lead you to a lot of success. And you know, again, we we talk so much about this power vacuum essentially being left in Italy. You know, and who's gonna win the title this year? And I don't think Napoli got a lot of love. I I, I and I have to say, probably even from myself, I don't know that they were a team that I truly thought coming into the year. Were in my my top three, you know, to to go for the title. Um, but now I, I feel foolish for maybe not seeing that. You know, they have I think you know one of the the stronger defenses in the league. I think Koulibaly is still one of the top five defenders in the league. You know, you have Fabian Ruiz, who I think is one of my favorite midfielders in Syria. Victor Osimhen, I think, has really taken a leap forward in terms of just his. He still isn't the the all around striker that you maybe want, but in this system, he does exactly. He's fitting that you know that Mauro Cardi role of you put him in the box and Victor Osimhen finds a way to to make you know, things happen, and did, you know he's obviously he, very aggressive. Didn't he almost score a bicycle kick? He went for a I'm bicycle sure kick. He went for one. He yeah. went for one. It was it was a little off. Uh, but you know that's that's just a shine a sign of his confidence as well that he's willing yeah. to even attempt that. But you know he's very instrumental at constantly pushing the back lines back. And you know he's obviously a quick player, which makes it difficult for defenders to deal with. There's a few times he he wins free kicks because of that. So I do think Napoli in are a really strong position. They're deserving of their place at top of the table going into the second international break and. Um, as they say, we'll be watching their career with great interest because uh, I'm looking forward to to seeing. Uh, they, they seem like the team to beat right now in Italy, and they're uh, serious Scudetto uh, contenders. 
Yeah, I, I think you, you certainly have to to put them in in that category now. They've they've had too many good results, too many good performances to to discount them further. But let's move on to uh to Milan. Inter two Sassuolo one. Speaking of re- speaking of resilience, speaking of grit and courageousness, Anime Corajosa is that what uh <laughs> <laughs> Brave souls in this one, Dom. Inter... souls. <laughs> uh, Boca Lupo. Yeah, they, they were hungry. I, I'll tell you that. Inter fighting back after going down uh, one nothing to Sassuolo as well. This was the Ed and Dzeko difference. This was the Ed and Dzeko guarantee. I think a lot of people were very critical of Inter's summer business. Not that they didn't deserve that criticism, of course. Um but I think you have to commend the the board and what they were able to do in the front office and how they were able to bring these players in that so far have worked very well for them. I think a lot of people raised their eyebrows at Ed and Jekyll and thought, not sure that that's because he, he didn't look at his normal self last year in, in Roma. It was not his, his best season, but starting out the year, I mean, he's the, the joint uh, top goal scorer right now in Syria. He's looked electric. He comes on and makes the difference in this game and Inter are able to turn it around. Dom, how do you feel? We all know the traditional big four sports and we have our favorite teams and enjoy them each and every week during their seasons. But what if I told you the fastest growing sport on two feet doesn't involve football, baseball, basketball, or hockey? Come join me, Dom Ponteri, and Harrison Kremens as we break down the sport of the future each and every week on the Outside the Box podcast, talking all things pro and college lacrosse right here on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. Uh, well, I'm never happy to see Inter win, but um, the one thing that stands out for me in this game is that Inzaghi made a quadruple substitution in the 57th minute. Like he must have not liked what he saw. I didn't watch the game. I, I normally won't catch me watching an inter game. Um, <laughs> but he must have not liked what he saw and took everybody off. He took off Hakan, who I have seen on Twitter. A lot of inter fans are starting to see Hakan's true colors, uh, which is just great to see. Uh, it's surprising that, you know, Bassoni and Dumfries got taken off. Uh, Correa gets taken off for Dzeko, and a minute later, Dzeko scores. So, <laughs> I mean, once when you put a guy in like Dzeko, I mean, this guy is one of the most seasoned, you know, vets in Serie A. He's done it with multiple teams. He's been there. He knows how to score in this league. He always has a knack for finding the back of the net. And, I mean, when you've got a couple wingers on on – you know, Inter like Parasic who gets the assist, you can, you know, put a lot of pressure down the wings and just cross it in because you you just put it anywhere near him. He's going to get a chance at least. He's going to get his head to it. So bring him in. First time they get down the field, look what happens. They get a goal. So, I mean, they get that. They play it. They start playing game and then they draw a penalty. You know, Lautaro gets the penalty. Uh you expect Inter to beat Sassuolo. If if it's it's less of a an impressive thing to see them win as it would have been to see like Sassuolo steal points. You know what I mean? This is one of those things where it's like 
you expect them to win this game, they're going to get the three points. You, you, you I think hope... you have a hard time getting into a credit, Dom. I think is, uh, I think is what's happening. Here. I mean, can, can you blame me? I think Ed Jekko, <laughs> I, I think, is, is the big story here for me because he's he always had this kind of undershadowed career, you know, everywhere he's gone. I don't think he's gotten the proper respect. You know, even going back to his Wolfsburg days, you know, he's one of the best strikers in Europe, goes to Man City, and obviously it's not going to be, you know, unseating Aguero at pretty much the peak of his power. But every time he came in, you know, scoring crucial goals, everyone talks obviously about the Aguero goal because that is the goal that wins in the title. But Edin Dzeko gets the goal that tied. Like he constantly, yeah. you know, found himself in these circumstances where he came through with, with crucial goals as well. He was fantastic for Roma during his uh, his time there as well. He really was, and he's, he's just continuing that uh, again. You know, with uh, with Inter, I, I think he's really hit the ground running so far. It's been uh, a really good signing for them, and yeah, you know, I think Inter again. This was this was a, a game. I, I just wanted to mention the resilience of it because they did not play very well in this game. There's a reason that you make four substitutions that, and you know, it's not often you get to, to realize the <laughs> the benefit of that right away with a goal like they did. But to still win despite that performance, despite not it not being your best performance, is so important because you know when you consider Napoli have, have obviously started off as well. Your you know inner city rivals as well have still been been playing strong and, and are picking up points. You know, Juventus is probably going to hit a surge in, in the spring. You know that all these teams around you are still very capable of winning games and, and marching on. To get to get three points in this game is really big for Inter, and I, I don't think can be discounted. But we already mentioned them. Let's let's move across the city, shall we? Uh, Milan three, Atalanta two. They go to Bergamo and get a win. This is not typical for Milan. This is not no. what we've seen from them in the past. This has typically been a graveyard of misfortune for them. Uh, instead, they turn it around in this one. Late scare though. It it almost seemed like it was going to go uh, very much in the opposite direction. Dom, give me your thoughts on this one. Um, I was absolutely ecstatic to see Calabria score in like 36 seconds. Um, Pioli always has this kind of way of having his team like have the – I guess they do this in training where they practice these different types of attacks when they get kickoff. When they have kickoff and they start the half, they have these ways where they're just – going right at it. You know, you saw it last season with Rafa Leao getting a goal in 12 seconds, you know? So it, 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 I just turned on the game. I was looking down at my phone thinking, you know, they're going to, you know, try to get possession settled down. This is a big game. They're not going to go crazy. Next thing I know, I look up and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs running around my living room. But for, for most of the game, they looked very, very, you know, settled in. They controlled the game. Um, Tonali, a little bit of cheek, you know, pressing a little higher than he needs to be. He's out of position, but, you know, catches them off guard, gets the other goal, nice, easy slot home. Um, Rafael Leal getting another goal. I'm so happy to see this man playing well this year. All the abuse he took on online from the fans. Um, it, it did get a little hairy at the end, and I did turn off the game by then, too. I was like, all right, they got it in the bag. It was like 80th minute. Coward. We got it. We got it. I'm, I'm, I'm turning it off. I had stuff to do. I went to go do the, do everything. And I look on Twitter, and next thing I see is 3-2. I'm like, excuse me? It did come out, though, that um, 
I think either somebody in charge of VAR in Italy or something like that, they were like, the second goal for Atalanta should have never happened. It should have been called off. Uh, VAR needs to be implemented more uh, efficiently. Um, this is not me as a Milan fan complaining again <laughs> about getting slighted again. But um, fair play to Atalanta at the end, try to put the pressure on. I mean, Atalanta did have a lot of good chances. I mean, there were I, Mike Magnan is just absolutely incredible. Some of the maybe city- maybe Milan should just tap it in their roots and start uh, dishing out Rolex. Hey. Maybe that'll give them the, the VR calls to the look. Hey. We're red and black, not white and black. Okay. Uh, I seem to remember some other some other. <laughs> other uh, hey, hey, there was there were the blue and black, white and black. There, there, there yeah. were quite a few. <laughs> not just us. <laughs> I, I I think you know the the big takeaway from this game is Milan. This was a, a really important game. Obviously, you know when you consider the opposition, but the fact that they have not performed well away to Atalanta. This is a team that has given them lots of issues in the past, and has frankly put the sword to them a few times as well, and really crushed hopes for either uh, Coppa Italia runs or you know been kind of the the big the big enemy for top four pushes and things like that. And you know they were definitely the better team for this. They're fully deserving of the of the three points. Yes, the two goals were contentious. Uh, by by Atalanta at the end. What annoys me about that is you could literally contend every single goal. You could literally say if, in every goal there's a foul and some build up. I get it. I get that it's frustrating. Every fan thinks VAR is out to get them. It's just like every fan thinks the commentator hates their team. Listen, I, as a Liverpool fan, I've seen plenty of re- decisions go the opposite way when it's clear as day that they shouldn't. You just have to throw your hands up and understand that it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be exactly the way you want it to be. You still won the game. I don't know. <laughs> you know obviously, if things beggars, turn out different, it's it's more negative. But like you said, beggars can't be choosers. We got the three points. That's what, you are that's beggars. That's a good. That's a good. Hey, shut <laughs> your mouth. Listen, you we got the three me. points, especially when you know Napoli and Inter both win. Like you have to win, so it it shows a lot to the to the heart of this team. You know, to be able to still push through. Some of these guys are playing very well this season. Um, other guys are kind of not really impressing as much. Um, but I'm also thinking more about, you know, these uh, real deep, you know, bench players and things like that. But some of the Milan, like younger guys on this team, they're really stepping up. Tonali, Diaz, Leal, uh, they're just just playing so well. And I guess Rebic decided that Atalanta really isn't that big of a club because he had a stinker. So. Yeah, it, it certainly was. I mean, the, the thing with Rebic, too, is he's still being technically played out of position. He's not really mm-hmm. a, a central attacker. He likes to have space in the wing. That's, you know, where we've seen him do a lot of his damage is when he has uh, kind of more room to work with. He can obviously be affected from there. But yeah, some of that is just because of Milan's position. You know, Ibra obviously is still dealing with this injury. Giroud is not, you know, available to play every game at this stage in his career. It is, it is tough. It, you know, some of this is just by circumstance, you know, they, they have to be put themselves in this position. I think the one thing to worry about for Milan is again, I know the goals were slightly contentious, but especially the one that makes it three, two is really, really sloppy by Milan. Again, the caveat of, I know that there was a foul in the buildup. I get it. You have five men in the box, leave a, uh, an attacker wide open. He has 
several seconds to control the ball, get his feet underneath of him, take another touch. Listen, you cannot be raising your hand calling for a foul or calling for offsides, whatever it is. There's going to be physical contact. Duven Zavata, he's not a newcomer. You know that he's a physical player. You know that he's willing to press. You know that he's willing to make tackles in the final third. You have to be willing to contend with that. You cannot. It, this I think it just showed a little bit of the the youthfulness still to this Milan team. I think a little bit of the naivete as well, because you you cannot stop playing, well, you know, at I, this stage of the game and and throw your arm up for a foul that isn't going to come. And there is VAR, so you have to trust that VAR could potentially do its job. I know that it didn't. You can't do that though, because that puts yourself in a very uncomfortable position. One of my fears that I think may be coming true though is that Simon Kier is not the same player that he was a year ago. Um, because whenever I see him in Tamori lineup, as opposed to Romagnoli in Tamori lineup, the Romagnoli Tamori pairing plays so much better. And it seems like they're a lot more solid in the back than when Kier has been playing numerous times in that game. Kier got destroyed by Duvon Zabata. Not to not to slight Duvon at all. He's he's an amazing striker. He's very he's one of the best in the league. But Kier looks like a step slower than he normally did over the last year and even through the Euros, you know. And you know all the all the stuff that happened during the Euros with Denmark and and you know how he you know leads his team and things like that. He's got this aura and all these you know stories and how he played last year was absolutely amazing. So he's got all this stuff around him, but. This year, it's just been a little different, and 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 I don't know if he's going to consistently have that starting spot anymore. I mean, Romagnoli has really proven his worth, even though he, you know, he has to be renewed. He has a renewal; he's running out of his contract by the end of the season. I think that Milan would be foolish not to not to re-sign him come January because. Him and Tamori in the back is just so much better, in my opinion. And I hope that I don't eat my words in saying that, but I, I really do. And I mean, I think it's it's difficult for here because he's asked to play in a lot of the bigger games, and mm-hmm. he's still like I think, and I think that's a sign of still his ability. You know, he, he, you know, you, you highlighted too. He had to play all through the Euros. It's not easy to go from the Euros. And he was, he was right back to at the start of the season for Milan as well. So he hasn't had a ton of rest. He's still playing for Denmark at the, you know, I, I, I just think you give a guy like that some wicker room. Um, cause I, That's I don't fair. think he, I don't think he's been particularly bad. I actually think this is one of his better games that he's had so far this season from what I saw. Um, and again, I don't think he can put, uh, the goals necessarily. At his feet, you know, one is a, a penalty that's, you know, not quite a penalty, you know, at, at least the way we understand it now. And the second goal is at the fault of multiple defenders, not just Kier. So um, I just think, you know, from Milan going forward, we've seen signs of of just youthful indiscretion, let's call it, so far this season. And that's times fair. where they haven't looked like the mature side that you really want them to be just yet. I say all this, they're still second in the league and are, have, have yet to lose in Serie A so far and have made a good account of themselves uh, in the Champions League as well. So it's certainly not to slight them or say that they've been uh, bad, but you know, I think there's still a lot of room for growth with Milan, which is a good thing. Oh, I think, I think that's it's a, a positive, the way that I see it from Milan. So, can, um, can we just give uh, Fikayo Tomori a shout-out for that one tackle he had inside the box? Yeah, that one tackle is great. Defenders, they just they love to make those tackles, right? 
I mean, dude, come Tamori's on. Tamori's looked good this that, year. Dude, I am, that tackle I am quite, I, I'll be honest. I'm a little beleaguered of the Tamori is the best defender in Europe talk because that is frankly. No, 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 no. He's not there yet. Come on. Well, let's, let's just say seven, that. There's seven, eight center backs that are way better than him. I'm just saying some of the discourse around Tamori has gotten <laughs> a little carried away, a little carried away. He's played very well so far this season. He had a good second half of the season last year. Let's relax because he's he's debatably still not even the best defender on his own team. So let's relax. Let's relax. He's, he has looked good. I think Milan there. have a gem, but let's relax. Uh, let's look forward to the rest of the Chelsea. season, Dom, because yeah, sure. You know how many teams have said that they fleeced Chelsea and it hasn't worked? <laughs> let's just relax. Let's give it some time, shall we? Let's let the man play a full calendar year as a starter before we anoint him. Uh, the English Maldini, shall we? <laughs> uh, let's look forward to the rest of the season, Dom, because we're on international break. So there's, there's not, you know, we obviously uh, have Italy, Spain tomorrow in the, uh, the nation's league semifinal, but frankly, I find it hard to care all that much about those games. Uh, much of the international break right now is just not particularly for me, all that entertaining. So let's look ahead to the rest of the season. Maybe get our thoughts as we get a, a chance to breathe and break a little bit. And, you know, we have obviously another international break next month where we can we can do this again and revisit. But I just want to get your thoughts on rest of the season. Let's call them predictions. But let's just say gut feelings at this point, because uh, we still don't have a, a ton of, of games to work with. You know, we've obviously had about 10 from a lot of these top clubs so far. But um, let's start in the Champions League. We'll just go through some of these groups, you know, some of the contentious ones. PSG beats Man City last week in a game that I thought Man City were actually the better team. But when you have Lionel Messi, you can make goals out of nothing. Um, that that group right now, though, is PSG, Club Brugge, Man City, and RB Leipzig. Uh, this one's still very much up in the air. Club Brugge have been very good. <laughs> have been uh, yeah, They obviously get the draw against PSG. I still have to feel that this is PSG and Man City's group to get out of, though. But Club Brugge are, are making a, a good showing and can certainly find themselves into the, the Europa League. Yeah, um, I I think I agree with that. I mean, Brugge can maybe challenge for that second-place spot if they pull out in another result or two, but I think that they finish third and they end up in the Europa League and make a run in there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, City and PSG's group to win. And, and move on. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the Man City PSG game uh, in what that match day five because, like I said, I, I thought Man City with a better team in that game. Although they could have had a, a De Bruyne red card, uh, it probably should have been. We've seen tackles like that go punished pretty often, um, so that's that's difficult to swallow if uh, you know he had. But whatever, we move on. I, I still think PSG and City are. are the clear top two in that group it's two yeah. games in i think some of the overreaction has, has gone a bit far on that one uh group b the group of death as it were uh liverpool sitting top they got six out of six points atletico madrid a very contentious win in milan last week dom i know you're still hurt by it uh they have four points porto sitting at one point they got their their spanking at the drag out from liverpool uh and milan sitting bottom no points but and they've won some moral victories, so. Uh, first off, don't remind me of that athletic game. Second off, I, I mean, am I really being objective when I say this? But I think that Milan win the group. No, I'm kidding. Um, 
they're I think that they finish third. I, there's some sort of realm of possibility in my head that they could. Um, obviously, they're going to have to get both results against Porto to make that, you know, kind of a reality. But you know, if they can pull off stealing some points from one of the bigger two teams in this in this group, um, you know, it, the the group is their oyster. Um, but I, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that the Liverpool top the group. Atletico finished second. Milan finished third. Again, the whole podcast hosted by Steve McAvoy and John Mavalia. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Get In The Whole Pod and be on the lookout for a ton of great content keeping you up to date on the world of golf. Releasing weekly a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family of podcasts wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I think it's tough for Milan. I'd feel a lot better about picking them for third if they had gotten a positive result. Obviously, they're really hamstrung, too, by Kessie getting that second yellow, which I I, I think was really debatable. I, I I did not think that was uh, that was. And I thought the penalty as well was incredibly harsh. Uh, the, the Luis Suarez winner, of course. So I would feel a lot better about picking them to, to at least make it to Europe League if they had gotten a point out of that game, if it's so much tighter between those those three and then Liverpool kind of pulling away. But it's all dependent on this next one because you, it's really they have to they really have to win and draw these next two. They, they cannot yeah. afford to lose either one of these because I, I think that puts them at such a huge, because then you have to, to obviously go to Madrid and then you have to host Liverpool in the last match day. And that could be fighting for your life. That is a difficult situation for this Milan team. And I, I I'm not sure that they have, I, I think they're just a little too far behind to make up the distance. They're a good team. I, I don't want to make it seem like I don't believe in them, but I just think that, when you're sitting on no points in the group of death after after match day two, that is hard for me to to buy. Well, that's the thing is, you know, Kessie got a red card, so he's not going to be available for the next game. So, you know, you have to put your trust in a Tonali Benacer relationship as the double pivots. And, you know, will it work? I mean, it, it's a decent pairing. They They both play well, but... You know, you haven't really seen a lot of that. You know, Kessie is always the choice over Benacer right now, and Tonali is having an exceptional season for for what was expected of him. Um, Pioli could get a little, you know, crazy and move Calabria into the DM spot and, and bring on uh, Kalulu at right back. But, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, your face when I just said that. He's done it, and he's scored goals playing there too. So. I, d- I do think Porto have looked vulnerable. Uh, this is not quite the Porto, you know, that we saw in the Champions League the last few years. Some of those players have moved on, and uh, their manager was actually pretty upset with the way that the team performed against Liverpool. It was, I have to say, one of the bigger meltdowns I've seen. Um, let's move on. This one is it's pretty easy, pretty straightforward. Ajax and Dortmund uh, at the top of their group so far, both of them six points. Um, it, Who else is in it, that group? Uh, this is with Besiktas and Sporting Lisbon. Uh, Ajax and Dortmund will play each other oh, the next yeah. two match weeks, so that's that's obviously going to pretty much be what settles this group who's going through at the top and and who will have to face potentially a gauntlet ride uh, coming out of it. But I haven't seen enough from Besiktas and Lisbon to, to feel like they're even strong contenders once they get to Europa League. Uh, both of them have looked, frankly, a, a bit off of it 
if I'm being honest. Yeah, there's nothing more to say about that one. This one, there's loads to say about Group D here. Uh, Chef, Sheriff Tears Bowl. Uh, if to you the had moon, this, baby. To the moon. Talk about your GME stock here, pretty much. Um, it's sitting at six points, top of the group, in a group with Real Madrid sitting in second, Inter Milan in third, Shakhtar Donetsk in fourth. No one saw this coming. Let's be very frank. I did not know this club existed until the Champions League draw. We all discounted them, and they have proven us wrong. They go to the burnabout, get a winner. I mean, you cannot write this. If if you put this in a Netflix show, people would call it lazy writing. Um, I'm still not convinced that we aren't living in one. But this was uh, this is this is quite a shocking result. It's after match day two, so you know there's still time for this to change. But they've given themselves a really good shot at at least Europa League. I mean, you you know, you talk about the fact that they they've put themselves at such a big advantage. They have a five point advantage over Inter and Donetsk now. That's a good position to put yourself in and you know to, to get yourself at least Europa League. But this could be the team that, that makes it through. And listen, as good as they've been, they've gotten results against two very good teams, two very seasoned uh, European teams. Real Madrid, one of the, you know, the, the kings of Europe, essentially. Every single team will want to be seeing Sheriff Tears Ball uh, in February <laughs> in, in the, the round of 16. That is exactly what everyone would want. Well, I think that they have this like X factor on them because nobody really knows about this club. Nobody really knew about any of the players or how their you know their identity. Any of they that. are in a, a country so, that is not even totally recognized by everyone. Uh, they're they're technically a Moldovan club, but they are part of a breakaway state within Moldova. Yeah, um, so, so it, they're you know, they're like the Wakanda of Russia. They are. <laughs> you, you caught these two giant teams off guard because of that. It's how they make the adjustments in the second leg of these two matches because it, it, it's very hard to believe that you know a team like Real Madrid or a team like Inter Milan is, is not going to make the proper adjustments to shut down Adama Traore and Cristiano because it seems like everything that they score goes through those two guys. Um, I'm being biased. Sheriff finished second, Inter go to Europa League, Real finish first. I, I, it's hard to, it's hard to debate that because again, like I said, Sheriff already have six points. They've looked a genuinely strong team. They went away to, to Shakhtar and got a really good result. Like, Oh, they were at home for, for Shakhtar. I'm sorry. But you go to Madrid and win. That is not something teams do very often. It doesn't matter that they were outplayed by Madrid in that oh, game. Excuse me. Yeah, they haven't played Inter yet. They right. Shakhtar, they, right? It, yeah. it doesn't matter that they, they frankly got outplayed by Madrid. They got the result, which is really all that matters. Um, let's move on. Bayern sitting at the top of the group. Benfica in second. Dynamo Kiev in third. Barcelona sitting bottom of the group have not had a shot on target so far through two games. They lose at the weekend to Atletico Madrid. Ronald Koeman seems out of it. Andrea Pirlo has been rumored to take over. He better not take that job. Yikes. It's not looking good. It's not looking good for the Catalan club, man. It's Who even knows if they're going to end up in Europa League from this? They could just be out. I think they still have the talent, and I don't they, think Coleman is actually there uh, to to see this through. And I think he's 
he's the issue now. It's it's quite clear. There's a clip going around as well of the some of the assistant managers perplexed at his decision making and Jordi Alba being perplexed at him not being subbed on over the weekend. Um, so we'll we'll see where this goes. I think Bayern are, are in clear, comfortable cruise control in this group. Right. So obviously going to finish first. Benfica have made a strong account of themselves so far. They're obviously going to have a tough test now, but I do think that, you know, if, you, if you're really, you know, I, I think they make it through here because I, I think they have the ability to at least like, it's going to come down, I think, to a little bit of a goal differential game here. And I think they have the ability to at least not get blown away by Bayern, uh, like we've already seen Barcelona and Kiev get. So I, I think Benfica find their way to second. And I do think Barcelona recover to, to at least make Europa, but, this group is still open. I don't think Barcelona are dead in the water. I wouldn't count them out because they still have the talent to, I think, make up the ground that they've lost. But they are four points behind, which is a huge, huge disadvantage to, to have here. I mean, the, the way that this is happening with Barcelona right now, this is this is giving me those like 2013-2014 Milan vibes. I, I don't think it's as bad of a state of emergency for Barcelona as it was for Milan with the expiring contracts and players leaving and, and, and the management from the front office. Um, but, you know, if Barcelona doesn't get this on track. It is scary it's, because it's I, scary. again, when you consider the fact that they've, you know, they've already cleared out a lot of uh, contracts and a lot of money and, not all those have been good things, obviously. Uh, you know, they 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 obviously lose out on Griezmann late in the window. And again, I, I think they still have players that are of value and I think can bring you to that level. I, I think that they're worthy, you know, talent-wise of, of being in the knockout stages of the Champions League. This is not the Barcelona, of course, that you'd consider a, as finalists, but I still think that the, the right manager could turn this around. The problem is just finding that manager. Because one of the other names being thrown around is Roberto uh, Martinez, who I think could be a disaster signing for them. And I I can't see that going properly. I don't know that Pirlo is the answer either. There's not enough to say on Pirlo's record so far that he's a bad manager. I'm not sure that he's the manager you want to be calling into a crisis at one of the biggest clubs in the world, though, because I, I don't think he has the, the legs for that just yet. I think the most hilarious thing that will never happen would be Antonio Conte coming to Catalan and, and whipping them into shape. But I just that would obviously never happen, of course, but no. I would personally love to see that. Uh, let's move forward. Group F, we have Atalanta, Young Boys, Manchester United, and Villarreal in that order. This one is pretty condensed, pretty difficult to call at the moment. Manchester United saved their Champions League hopes because of a, a late Ronaldo winner against Villarreal. It was very close to our prediction of a 1-1 draw because that's the way the five previous had gone between these two. Um, but they, they, they get a late winner, which really uh, gives them the position now where they're at least within striking range of everyone else. They go now to play Atlanta for the next two games, which could very well decide the group. Atlanta have been playing a little bit better. They've, they've started to find, I think, a little bit their usual form. Um, this is a tough one to call, though, because, again, it's so condensed. I think everyone's of a, a, a good quality in this group. There's no obvious uh, weak team. How do you feel about this one? It's a very tough call. Um, like you said, and, and we talked about this earlier, Atalanta have been playing well now. They're starting to find their stride. Um, I don't think that Manchester United will 
find a way to not move on. You know what I mean? I think that it, it, it's especially in the DNA of some of the players like Cristiano's back. I don't think that he's going to allow Manchester United to at least not make it out of the group stage. Will they make it far in the knockouts? I, I don't think so, but will they make it out of the group? I think um, aside from that, I mean, it's a toss up with Atalanta and Villarreal right now. Um, both two teams play very well. And I mean, young boys, young boys is a sleeper. They, they, Caught, you know, Manchester United on on a bad day, and and they made them pay for it. So, um, you know, you can't ever you can't count them out either. And they have one of the best names for a club in Europe, in my opinion. Uh, I've always been a fan of <laughs> young boys as a name in FIFA for for quite some time. <laughs> I remember when I found that. I remember when I found that out the first time. I was like, there's a team called Young Boys. And just, you know, little old pubescent me was just like, this is sick. <laughs> Thanks for giving us your story of self-discovery, Dom. That's really enlightening. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do think Manchester United, obviously, are, are still going to be most people's favorites. And, and people look at them. They have not played well in this group, though. And, no. and I, I understand the talent mm-hmm. aspect. I understand certainly the narrative about Ronaldo. But it doesn't matter if you can't beat the teams. And like, all we've talked about is that they've been, frankly weak in the areas that they've continued to be weak in. And every single group, every single team in this group has been able to exploit that. Villarreal were 30 seconds from getting a, you know, a really big point against them. They would have had one point through this. Obviously I'm talking about what didn't happen, but they've not been a very impressive team to me in champions league so far. They have the chance to write that against Atalanta. I have to believe because of the talent that they have, that they make it through. I think they're still the most talented team, of course in this uh in this group but it does not matter if you don't get the results and that has been the issue for united i don't know if i've been i don't know if i've said it on the show but i i truly believe that like signing ronaldo was more of a thing to get the narrative about the team talking more about him to distract from the fact that they have not still yet to you know reinforce the major needs that they have in their club well, we know there were all those signings, at least partly because of his links with Manchester City and that they couldn't bear to have him could have the, the inner city yeah. uh, team here. But yeah, I, I still think I think Atalanta has a really good shot at making out of this group. I think they performed well so far and we'll see. I, I think, again, yeah, I don't want to hedge too much, but I really think we'll we'll know definitively when we do this next month in November, uh, you know, who's really making it out. I think Atalanta and United have to be the favorites at this point, considering uh, their position and the group so far. You know, group I'm sticking G- with an Italian team. So, Group G has been uh, a lot of fun. Salzburg, Sevilla, Wolfsburg, and Lille. No clear runaway so far in this group. Salzburg have been good for uh, good for their money so far. Sevilla and Wolfsburg had <laughs> quite, I mean, quite the game. Uh, you know, it was a, a contentious one for sure. If you want to talk about VAR decisions, but I. Uh, I have to feel that I still in my bones feel Sevilla and Wolfsburg getting through this. Salzburg have surprised us at a lot of stages over the last few years in Europe. They've put up some big results. They've beaten some big teams. I, I still think that they can, they can make it out of this group. They can finish in like a second position, but I have to feel that Sevilla and, and Wolfsburg are uh, just kind of a, a tier above in, in terms of talent and in terms of coaching and, 
Um, I don't know that they just found that success so far uh, in the Champions League, at least. I don't know anything about this group. I don't watch these teams. I don't know what to say about it. I, I can't. I can't. I don't feel comfortable making a prediction for a group that I literally almost know nothing about. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll leave it at Sevilla and Wolfsburg going through. But uh, Salzburg and Lille, you know, Lille has obviously struggled a lot this season. They have lots of uh, front office issues and uh, owner issues, and they've had injuries, of course, too. So it's been difficult. You had some turnover as well with, with some players that haven't quite been able to to replicate what they had last year. Um, you know, they, they just have not been, they've not been the title winning team that we expected them to be. The, the defending has not been at the same level, but I mean, you know. they lost the best goalkeeper in the league. Yeah. So. <laughs> Final group, group H Juventus at the top. We said it, we said, watch out because when you're going to Turin, anything can happen. It smelled like an Allegri masterclass. And that's what it was. Juventus get a, a really good result, one nil over Chelsea, despite not having Tabala or Morata for that one. Uh, so Juventus sitting at the top of six points. You're defending uh, European champions. Chelsea at three points. Zenit in third with three. Malmo at zero. Uh, this is kind of how we expected this group to shape up. Uh, Juventus and Chelsea in some order. I think most people would have had Chelsea above Juventus. That could still happen, of course, but. Now that they have a result against them, that does make it a little more challenging for Chelsea to to make that happen. But I, I think the the big thing is just how these two teams have performed so far, and you know how they grow into the season. Obviously, Chelsea have had the stronger start. Juventus they have some injuries now, which is going to be difficult for them to work through. That we we've, we've talked about, but I there's just something about Juventus. They're 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 one of these teams that you can always they're, they're like zombies that. You know, or like a to use a more uh, autumn themed analogy, they're like Michael Myers in that you think that you've killed them, <laughs> but they they march on forward. They are constantly an oppressive force on everyone, and they're never really quite gone. They're never really quite out of it. There's always the the final scene where they're actually not dead. They've actually moved somewhere else, and and you have to constantly be looking over your shoulder for them. You see that in Serie A all the time. They're they, they're down to like bottom table teams, and somehow they just climb their way back. You think they're done, and and the, the same way in the Champions League, especially in the group stage and the early knockout stages. This is a team that like you can count out in certain matchups, and the next thing you know, they're in a semifinal. So, uh, I I don't think without a doubt, or sorry, without a doubt, Juventus and Chelsea get out of this league. like first and second who for whoever finishes first, whoever finishes second, I don't know, but I do think that this result over Chelsea is big for Juventus in finishing first uh, in their group. Uh, we'll just have to see what the next few match days brings us. Yeah. Juventus have Zenit uh, in Chelsea. We'll get Malmo, which is a rematch of what was that Europa league quarterfinal uh, the year that they won it. So, that's cool. At least we got some, some, we have a, a rare uh, Malmo Chelsea rivalry to rekindle. That's cool. a lot of fun. Uh, that was a good, I remember that tie. It was, it was a good tie. Um, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to, to champions league. We'll be back next week. Uh, we'll talk about the, the leagues as well. We'll have some other fun things that we're going to do for the international break. Uh, we'll be highlighting some of the games uh, next week. Uh, so we, we hope you're looking forward to that and we'll be doing some, uh, some, 
some predictions for both England and Italy looking forward now that we've had some games to kind of see where these teams are at. Dom, do we have any final thoughts? Anything we want to say to the people? Forza ragazzi. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, no, Look for uh, Italy tomorrow, right? Hey, Calabria got a call up. So I'm, I'm hoping to see him get some playing time for the national team, which would be awesome. Um, you know, make sure you uh, rate this five stars on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you share it to your friends. Um, and also uh, make sure you follow Matt on his socials at Matt Castorino on Twitter. Uh, make sure you follow me on my socials at Wash Lifestyle on Twitter and twitch.tv slash a hairy ape. Uh, we packed Ronaldo. We're, we're popping off, baby. Like it's, yeah, follow, hey. watch Dom burn his retirement money on FIFA Ultimate Team. Not anymore. Now that Ronaldo's in the club and that was just off of untradeable packs and upgrades, hey, man, to the moon. We are to saving the all the coins. To the moon for sure. Someone's going to the moon. Uh, we'll see who it is. Uh, that wraps it up for this week. Like I said, we'll be back next week. We'll we'll give you some international break roundup. We'll give you some of that love that you're looking forward to. We know that the international break is frankly just not as fun. So we will see you then. I hope you stay safe in the meantime and have a good one.